listening to Skylight, the Skylight Books podcast. Skylight Books is a general interest bookstore in the Los Feliz neighborhood in Los Angeles. You can shop with us from 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. or visit us online 24-7 at skylightbooks.com. Follow along at Skylight Books Instagram and Twitter. You can subscribe to the podcast on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Thank you for listening, and now on to the episode. Hello, lovely listeners, and welcome to Skylit. This is the Skylight Books podcast, and I'm your host, Natalie Freeman. Today, we are so thrilled to welcome West Moss to read from her new book, Flesh and Blood, and after that, she'll be in conversation with David Ebenbach. Before I introduce them, I wanted to remind you that Skylight Books is open for in-store browsing, and you can always shop online 24-7 at skylightbooks.com. West Moss has published a collection of short stories, and her award-winning essays and poems have appeared in the New York Times, Salon.com, McSweeney's, and many other publications. She has a certificate in narrative medicine and works at at a university in New Jersey, where she lives. And David Ebenbach is the author of eight books of fiction, poetry, and nonfiction, including his novel, How to Mars. Kirkus Reviews said, a poignant examination of what it means to be human. His books have won such awards as the Drew Hines Literature Prize and the Juniper Prize, among others. Ebenbach lives with his family in Washington, D.C., where he teaches creative writing and literature and promotes student-centered teaching at Georgetown University. You can find out more at davidebenbach.com. Thank you both so much for being here today. Thank you. I'm yes, excited. I'm, I'm extremely excited. And I, I should mention that I don't have, I've never published a poem, but everyone keeps calling me an award-winning poet, which is <laughs> sort of slightly embarrassing and also makes me feel like I should start writing poetry. That is not true. You have a published poem in this book, Flesh and Blood. I can turn to the actual page if you want me to. Um, I do, but it's not award-winning. Well, actually, I mean, let's, why don't we start there? Um, well, actually, no, no, wait. Let's not start there. Let's come back to that. I do want to talk about why there's a poem in here, but I'm very excited to talk to you today. Um, this is uh, World Pals, so it'll be great to just talk book stuff. And you you have written a beautiful, searing memoir, Flesh and Blood. And I wanted to start with a question that is, the first part is really big, and the second part is more manageable. So it starts, why do you write at all. And then part two, and why this particular book? You know, how did this emerge? How did you decide for this to be the project you were working on? So why do I write? Well, first of all, I just have to say I'm so happy to be here and to be here with you, David, who's one of my favorite writers and people in general. Um, I feel like you and I share a lot of uh, our philosophies. Some of our philosophies overlap about writing and art. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm as excited to be here talking about my book as I am to just sort of interact with you. It always makes me feel better about the world. Um, why do I write? Uh, why do I write? I, I write because I, 
don't know how to live without writing. Mm. That's that sounds uh, maybe vague to people who don't write, but I make sense of the world through my writing. And I always have, even when I was a little kid. So when I was really mad at my sister, I would write in my journal. And when I was embarrassed by something at school or had a crush on someone or was reading a book that scared me, I would write about it. It's how I figure out, it's how I contain the world. And I guess also I've just had always been someone who felt things very deeply. And um, I think for those of us who feel that way, maybe, maybe a lot of writers feel that way. Uh, we don't necessarily feel like we're surrounded by people who are like that. So we might feel like I did kind of alone in that. And mm. so going into a, a yellow legal pad and expressing my feelings was a way of um, maybe validating my own experience of the world without knowing that's what I was doing, obviously, but um, feeling something, feeling outside the world in a certain way and making sense of it and feeling better about it all at once. So, I mean, that, actually, I wasn't planning that answer to work with your second question, but it kind of does, <laughs> which is um, I, I wrote this book because I was trying to make sense of what I had learned from an illness and a surgery and a kind of long recovery. And um, so on the one level, it was maybe catharsis, uh, processing, sure. processing the experience for myself. On the other hand, it also felt, um, I felt ready for long form writing, which I hadn't felt like really, uh, maybe the year before I wrote this, I was writing short stories and I felt kind of ready to make the leap and, and certainly Illness is a great frame for something long form because there's sort of a natural arc, I guess, of pre-diagnosis symptoms and stuff, and then diagnosis and then illness. And if you're lucky, recovery or or the other side of that illness. So mm. that presented itself as helpful. And then really to um, when I, I, I had a hysterectomy ultimately was the surgery that I had. And I really was looking for literature to lean on while I was sick because I love, I've always loved to read as much as I love to write. And I couldn't find anything. It was either written by men or it was a very, uh, you know, my hysterectomy gone wrong. Something, you know, very different from what I, I was looking for. So I was reading a lot of poetry and reading short stories and that kind of thing. Uh, but there was nothing I could find to read that um, I wrote the book I wish I'd had, I guess. I wish I had had uh, when I was going through this. And so that's what it ended up being. There, how's that for a long answer? That's good stuff. So all you have to do is invent now a time machine and then just circle back and give yourself the book. Right. But then of course you wouldn't be motivated to write it. So forget right. that whole line. Well, okay, so you said <laughs> along the way you talked about how there's a kind of container here. I can absolutely relate to that. Um, and there is, the book is really laid out in this kind of like before the diagnosis, diagnosis, you even have sections kind of labeled, you know, right before the surgery and um, in the recovery period, which was 
longer than you hoped for and anticipated. Um, but in another sense, it's not that contained. I, I mean, it's sort of wonderfully expansive um, that it brings in like, you know, your ancestors. Um, it brings in you thinking about the future. Uh, it brings in a praying mantis who is not present during the surgery uh, for, you know, sanitary reasons. Um, and it's, it's, it's in a way also a very big book. So how do you know when you're writing a book, what, what comes in and what stays out? And Well, don't you find um, there's a certain thing that happens with being creative where you bring things in, you're like, well, this doesn't make sense, but I'm going to bring it in. And then you realize, oh, it actually does make sense. Mm -hmm. So there's a whole long stage for me with my writing that is just me giving myself permission to write what I want to write, even if it doesn't seem like it makes sense. Mm -hmm. So it's sort of messy. I would call it a first draft, but it's more like the first 20 drafts or something. I write a lot of drafts um, where I just give myself permission to play. I also wrote the whole first draft when I was in Holland and I was there with someone else who had been at the Virginia Center for the Creative Arts, which is where I met David. I was there with my friend, Marie Myung-Ak Lee. Oh, yeah. She's also a writer. And I remember coming downstairs, we were, we were house sitting. I remember coming downstairs and saying to her, I'm writing these really weird, tiny sections. They're, the chapters are like a paragraph long. And she said, what I've said to other writers, but couldn't do for myself. She said, let it be what it wants to be. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, thank God. Uh, you know, being around other writers is really great um, because we all kind of struggle with things. So that was amazing, the timing, uh, of that was amazing. I was also reading this Dutch writer while I was there a little after I think Marie went home and it turned out he was writing these crazy little fists of these short stories that are like a paragraph long and so so there's that in terms of form but also you know I weirdly like okay the praying mantis doesn't have anything to do with the story on one level but then when I reread the draft, I realized, oh my God, I, he, I, we, I think of him as a male, a male praying mantis through most of the time that he's just in the sunroom with me where I'm recovering. And then he lays all these eggs and it turns out, obviously it's a female praying mantis, yeah. um, but I still call him Claude. Like, there's something about gender in all of this. And I and, and when I realized this was going on and sort of the mutability of so many, so many things. And here I was sort of uh, losing my uterus and losing my potential for childbirth. And um, I don't know, it, it, it turned out that my instincts for almost everything in those early drafts, uh, I kept, I, I listened to that instinct. There were things I took out like um, I had a little bit of a snarky chapter about some things that people did that I didn't like when I was a patient, like it, like what not to do. And as I was revising it with my editor at Algonquin, I increasingly hated that part. Mm -hmm. It just felt mean. 
and like I was trying to settle scores and I, I took that out. Um, so part of just going back to another little piece of your question, why the ancestors, which sort of goes outside of the time frame of it, I think I brought them in because I was thinking about them a lot and trying to trying to feel like what's my purpose on this earth if I'm not going to have kids, which was a real question for me and is still a question that I ponder. Um, I caused me to think back to the women who came before me. So even though they're not alive during the present tense of the book, they were alive for me as a patient pondering these big questions. And I thought, bring them in. And, you know, even though it is a book about an illness on one level, I don't think of it that way. Mm. That's just a convenient frame in some, some ways. It's really about family and legacy and a happy marriage and uh, the gifts that my mother gave to me and her mother gave to her, et cetera. So, I think I think I answered your question. I think all of that comes through amazingly. And it's kind of paradoxical in a way. I'm glad you brought up a chapter that you removed because it felt mean. Because I think there's this paradox of you've got these small little chapters in a very focused um, memoir in one sense. But yeah, it gets really big and takes in the whole world. And it's about so much um, in a way that really works well. And I think what it comes down to is a deep kind of generosity that you have and that you bring into this book. So I'm not surprised to hear you chopping out chapters uh, where you feel like you weren't being charitable. Because one of the beautiful things about this book is every person you encounter, some of them, the reader's like, that seems like I would be annoyed if I met this person. Um, but you have this amazing way to circle around to their point of view, to think about what it must be like to be them, to have done this procedure a million times and be a little cold at this point or to not understand what you've been through and to ask a question that they that is insensitive. Um, so I want to talk about generosity um, because it's one of the things I admire the most about your work in general and, and certainly in this book. Um, is this a thing that comes pretty naturally to you or is it writing that brings this out that allows you to dig into that charitable, generous point of view? Where does it come from? All right. Well, I'm going to I'm going to double back to something. Um, when I first met you, David, do you remember our first encounter? Was it in the hallway, the entrance to the Virginia Center for the Creative Arts? And you thought I was a staff member because I said something. What did I say? Something like, welcome. Welcome to VCCA. Something you know, like you were the mayor of VCCA. Um, <laughs> and I thought, oh, thank goodness, someone who works here who I can ask him questions and how nice, and isn't he friendly? You know, I think you and I come from the same place in a way, which is- um, Oh wait, for folks, we, I, I didn't work there. That's the, like the hidden- Oh, he did not work there. He was another, we both had residencies, artists' residencies at BCCA at the same time. Right, good point. Um, well, <laughs> there, I think you and I have the same impulse in general in the world, which is um, I walk into a room and I think, uh, how, can, how can we all be in this room together? Do you know how, what way can, 
The exciting possibility for me is how can we in this room be a community right now? Like that's fun to me. I love that. And I also feel like um, I, I don't know if I actually have the power or I just take it, but I do feel like one person in a room can change a room. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, that's that. one thing. You do. Yeah, and I, I, I've always felt that way about teaching and you probably do too. Like, how cool is it that in a very tough world, I can create a community in my classroom where there's a sense of justice and belonging for every single person in there. Mm-hmm. It just, I, so I don't know where it comes from, but that's to me, I don't, what I don't understand is people who want to make other people feel like crap. That's what I do not get. Why would you want to do that? I don't know. But, but even like I've seen teachers take a student's piece of writing and just circle everything and cross everything out. And I think, Mm. why, why, why would you want to interact with someone? It seems to me every interaction we have with people is a chance for delight. Uh, Now, not everyone's delightful. People can be, um, (laughs) can be irritating for sure. And, and I think the writing community, like any community has its share of snark, but I steer my ship away from that because there's no pleasure in that for me. And um, I think I, I know for a fact that comes, that's who you are in my mind. Maybe I, maybe I'm wrong and you're evil, but (laughs) I think you're a good person, but it also comes across in your writing. Um, I went to one of your um, book events not, not long ago for your novel, How to Mars. And you said something so interesting, uh, which is you don't, create characters who are villains is that how you put it yeah yeah Yeah. i think there's a uh, i mean it's kind of like you're saying there's something that is lost there's there's a lack of comprehension and imagination to think that somebody boils down to they're bad Uh, i mean of course people can raise some pretty striking counterexamples um but the long, you know, if you're going to be, you talked about long form writing, and if you're going to be spending a lot of time with a character and you end up not sympathizing with them by the end, I think you have something turned off inside you. Right. I don't get that. I don't get why, why you would, why would I want to do that? Like, I, so in short form, my short stories, it was always um, part of the fun for me was trying to understand mm. what the world looked like from that character's point of view. So I had this pretty crabby, I have a short story called Dubonnet about yeah. this woman who's just bizarre and kind of mean. She's mean to her daughter-in-law in a way that actually makes me laugh. She says, um, my daughter, whose name I don't like to say, which is Cynthia, I don't know, that makes me laugh. But this, I, this there was a woman I saw in Bryant Park who was, dressed up in rain gear even though it was a sunny day and she wrapped all of her stuff up in saran wrap I saw her for all of you know three minutes and a year later I was still wondering how does that look rational to her and it was so fascinating to me because I feel like we all have our lunacies right they don't feel like lunacies to us because there are lunacies so we think they're 
adorable. But <clears throat> part of what I love about writing is I get to imagine how that how this sort of interesting woman who was all clean and had lipstick on and everything, how did it make sense to her that to go to the park, she had to wrap all of her stuff up in saran wrap and take it with her. And what a joy that was to get to know her and to see, you know what, she's great. I, even with all of her, um, you know, meanness to poor Cynthia, I loved her. So I, with you, I don't know how you spend time with the character without loving them. And I, I think even in real life, because this book is nonfiction, um, mm. it's maybe it's a little exhausting to see both sides of things. But look, I had a nurse who was asking me all the wrong questions and uh, right before surgery. And I'm, you know, sitting in this gown, freezing cold with an IV in my arm and I'm bleeding on the gurney. So I'm filled with shame, which is like, you know, my favorite mm. feeling. And she just keeps asking me things like, what's your date of birth? And she won't look at me. Now I was upset at her uh, mm. in that scene, but I also kind of get it, right? I sure. mean, she's probably had to talk to 30 people that day. And I think that makes it interesting that here are two people who are both really struggling. She's had a horrible day. She's clicking her pen like she wants to kill someone. Someone's probably... <laughs> you know, yelled at her for something that she didn't do. And now I'm sitting there bleeding on the gurney feeling like hell. And, um, and, and how do we, you know, I think we both kind of failed in that moment. We both did our best and I look back on it and I wish I could have, you know, burst out laughing or something or burst out crying or hugged her or something. I don't know. It, it, we didn't have to be as at odds of, as we were, but I, I wasn't coping as well. So, well, yeah, I, I mean, yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, and I, you know, because you're a writer, you sort of get a second bite at the apple because you, you know, you incorporated her into this book in a way that's part of this, again, this great, generous, beautiful view of the universe. Um, and I got to tell you, I have so many questions that I want to ask you, and I know we don't have time for me to ask all of them. So I'm do a speed round and I'll answer really fast. Well, it's not like they're, you know, short answer questions. You know, these are, these okay. are deep questions, Wes. Four. That's okay. my answer to well, all your questions. Actually, that covers several of them in one go. So thank you. Um, well, you mentioned the word shame. So let's, let's go, let's go in that direction. Let's talk about shame. Okay. Um, we, I, we live in this culture where shame about the body is like beaten into us real early. Um, we all feel it, I think. Um, I think women are made to feel it. Um, if, if you ever forget for a second that you're supposed to be ashamed of your body, there's so many reminders out there for women. Um, it's, a, it's a terrible environment in that sense. So um, we're raised to be ashamed of our bodies. Uh, and yet in this, in this memoir, you're really frank. You're talking about genitals, you're talking about internal organs, you're talking about um, the reproductive system. Uh, and you do it very frankly and directly. And I just, I guess what I wondered is, given all the stuff we're raised in, was that hard for you to do? Was it exciting to do? Could you talk about that process a little bit? I just, um, was it, I, it was not hard. It was not hard to do. And I think I pictured as my audience, a dear friend, not one particular person, but like, I was going to write this as though I was sitting around 
having a glass of wine with an old friend and how would I talk about it? And we would talk about it, frankly. <laughs> we would just say, I was bleeding all over the gurney and they wouldn't give me, they wouldn't put a towel down. I don't know what that's about. Um, I also think it's when you're sick and you're being prodded and poked and it's, you know, your uterus and, and all of that menstrual blood for months and months and months, you get a lot less precious about things. Yeah. Because you have to, like, there, there's a, there's a scene. This is so gross, but there's a scene in um, in the book where the doctors are asking me to describe the color of the blood. I come in after surgery and I said, I, I went through five pads and they're like, well, what, what kind of red was it? And I'm like, I don't know. Uh, red, red, brown, red, I don't know, you know, um, and so we're just having these conversations all day long. So in a way it was liberating, but also it was purposeful because I really want us to be able to talk about this stuff. And, and, and I want, I want men to be able to talk about it too. I feel like if, yeah. if we're going to be able to be less ashamed about these things and get more comfort from each other, we have to have language for it. And um, I think about my husband, he went through this differently than I went through it, but he went through it nonetheless. My miscarriages are his miscarriages too. Mm -hmm. um, and if I'm having trouble finding language to tell people about it. I know it's harder for him because no one's saying to him, how are you feeling? Like through that whole time, I think no one ever said to poor Craig, so how are you? Everyone was saying to him, how's West? Yeah. You know, um, so yeah. I think that Frankness that, is important. I think it's important. And I, I think what you're saying, I just want to underscore it because um, uh, I think people could look at this book and they think, hysterectomy, okay, so um, I have to be a woman to get something out of this book. And I just adored this book. And I think there are so many reasons for that. I mean, you could get specific and talk about everybody should be able to talk about hysterectomies or everyone should be able to talk about health and healing or everyone should have, you know, there's also, of course, just thinking about what we're creating for the future and what we're carrying with us from the past. And there's love and friendship and, um, in relationship, I mean, there's so much here, and uh, I can't think of a person in my life who wouldn't love this book. So I just want to put that out there. Number one, um, on the same note, yeah, I'm not even going to let you because you might protest, and, and you shouldn't. Um, it's a wonderful book. Um, the, so the I want to build on this thing of sort of getting it out in the public. Um, of course, one of the ways that we hang out these days, you and me, and lots of other people, is on social media, and um, I just wanted to ask, I feel like that was in a way a kind of rehearsal space for you for some of these ideas. I know that Claude was, for example, a frequent presence on your social media page. And you also talked, I mean, about the, I think, um, some of the medical issues on social media, some of the experiences. And, and I wonder, were you, were you testing out any of the writing that way? Were you trying to get your thoughts together? Were you, you know... What role did social media have for you in all of this? That's such a good question. Um, these are all good questions, but that's an especially good Thank question. Um, I don't think I was purposefully using social media that way, but boy, is it 
helpful when you really uh, are slowly coming to a place in your life where you're never leaving the house anymore because you're scared you're going to bleed all over everything all the time. And so slowly, slowly, you're becoming antisocial and uh, isolated. And um, so social media is great for something like that, uh, in that you can be with people and still be near the bathroom um, if you need to be. <laughs> um, so there's a new slogan for uh, Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> We should make some money off of that. That is perfect. <laughs> it's so true. That you can make money off of that. So yes, Instagram. Be with your friends and still be near the bathroom. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I, you know, I'll tell you how I think social. So it, I have so many answers to this, but uh, I did. One of the shocking moments for me was on social media when I finally knew what my diagnosis was and that I had this path that I was going to get a hysterectomy. And I thought, okay, I'm just going to let people know. And I posted it and I, I have to look back at that post. It's from whatever, five years ago now, dozens of people responded. Sure. Dozens and dozens and dozens, not just to say, oh, I'm sorry. It was all people saying I had a hysterectomy too. Mm. People I'd never known. And they had no way, like, you don't just walk up to someone and say, hey, Dave, I've, I just wanted you to know I had a hysterectomy a few years ago, right? There's no mechanism for these things. But there I was, and just sort of saying it out, putting it out there meant that all of these people suddenly had an excuse to tell people. And I did hear from a lot of those people that I was the first person they had ever told. Yeah. Just because how do you tell people? So there's that. I also think Social media has been a fun experiment for me because I kind of hate social media. Maybe we all kind of hate it. I hate all the comparisons. I hate the showing off. And um, one of the things I did tried out a few years ago was just making fun of myself on Facebook because Face it always makes Faceplant Friday. It always makes me laugh when I'm an idiot for some reason. That's like my happiest thing is when I went on a job interview met with the dean of a college, got home and realized my pants were on backwards. And that's a true story, my friends. And I got the job. I just want you yeah. to know. And I got the job. Um, so I, I thought, let's, I, I, I heard from a friend, this was way back, you know, five, six years ago, that she hated social media because everyone, she's a single mom and everyone looked so wealthy and they're going on vacations all the time. And my response to that was faceplant Friday, which is what if we were all honest about right. what idiots we are and how we're all broke and we're all struggling and we're all fools half the time. And like I, I left the dentist and the hygienist said, bye. And I said, love you. I don't know what I was thinking. It was like hanging up the phone. I just said, I love you. And then I just kept walking. I realized I had said it. And I was like, do not, do not stop. Just keep it moving. Just keep walking and act like that is totally normal. And three years later, I'm still cringing about it. So, um, you know, I guess it's the same philosophy as the book in some ways, which is what if we make a place in our writing, whether it's uh, 
whether it's in our social media posts or in our short stories or our essays, where people don't have to feel like crap about themselves, but can bring their true experience to the table rather than let me show off about how I'm better than everyone else. How about, isn't it more fun to be able to say, we're all in this together and I think that you're fabulous even as you are completely failing at certain things because I am too. To me, that's a much happier world. So in that way, I guess it was a practice run for the book. Love that answer. And I wanted to go back to one piece of it, which um, I had, had no idea just the number of hysterectomies that happen every year in the United States. And your book taught me that. It's a, you know, what is it? One in three women. Um, oh, all right. Don't ask me a math question, first of all. I, I, I Here's how I know it. And you tell me if this is one in three. 600,000 women in America every year get a hysterectomy. I mean, you know, <laughs> is that I, one in three? <laughs> I mean, who knows? Um, sure. You know, but uh, that is a big number to talk about something that we aren't talking about. You know, how how weird is it? And I mean, it would, for me, it was really dismaying to think there's this big thing going on in lots of people's lives and it's kind of invisible. Um, and your book really brings it into visibility, which I think is a beautiful thing to do. I was shocked about that too. I, and I didn't know that when I was going through it. I, I found that out. That's a CDC number. And I read that. And I was like, wow, why do I feel so alone in this? This is weird to feel so alone. And yet there, if that's every single year, that means there are millions. I'm surrounded by millions and millions of people who've gone through it. But I do think that, um, you know, this is a really nice concrete example of how cultural taboos can really uh, isolate us from one another in the same way that not talking about aging or not talking about illness, even the language that we use. So it's called a hysterectomy, which still pisses me off when I think of that. Like, why haven't we come up with a better name for it? That doesn't imply the name itself feels like we are blaming the person who's having the surgery and yeah. it's some sort of emotional just being uh, response. Would you stop being hysterical? Right. Yeah. Stop being hysterical. Um, so that I feel like uh, our, you know, it's like gravity. We are unaware of the ways that our culture is acting on us. But I think that we very clearly get the message. Don't talk about this. It's going to make people sad. It's going to make people feel sorry for you. You're not going to seem like a real woman. And weirdly, I I'm not having a uterus, I know it's supposed to make me feel different. It doesn't make me feel like less of anything. It's weird, but I know I'm supposed to, but I don't. I don't know um, at all. I mean, I, but yeah, and I, I got to say, for folks who are wondering about whether, you know, should I jump into this book? It sounds like, um, you know, it's going to be nonstop sadness. And um, I got to say, the emotional range of this book is tremendous. I mean, it's definitely the kind of book where you're going to get moved to tears at times, but you're also going to be laughing your ass off. And you're just going to be full of wonder at other times. Um, so, you know, as to whether you should feel like a different person as a result of having your uterus removed during surgery, I don't know what the should is there. But I do have a question about change in you, which is, do you feel different as a result of having written this book? Like, did this, did writing this book change you or change things for you in any kind of way that you can 
you can notice? That's, um, you know, I'm just going to say what the answer that comes to mind, which is what feels really different is uh, publishing a book. Ah. Right. Um, which sounds odd, but, um, you know, I've, I've, I've always written, as we said early in our conversation, but I did not start writing for the public <clears throat> until my husband and I decided not to have kids. Like there was a moment where I thought I still being pregnant had sort of awoken this desire to be, to really create something and to leave a legacy behind. And that was thwarted. And I made this conscious decision to really study writing, to get, to be the best writer I could be. Um, and so I don't know exactly what year that was, 2010 maybe. And I went back and I got my MFA and I've been working really hard while I've been working full time and all that kind of stuff. Um, publishing this book, it's interesting. I, with this book, I, I have another book that was published a short story collection, but there's something about the publication of this book where I feel like I am, this is, this is my debut for me as, as an author in a funny way. This feel like I, I, I have an agent, which was different than I did when I had my short story collection. I have a very amazing publisher in Algonquin who is my equal partner in wanting this to succeed. And I feel like even, you know, here we are in this with in this podcast together talking to people in California this book and this publisher and this agent have all given me the ability to talk to more people and so it, it I feel like I've reached a different level um I feel like I'm a better writer with this book because I got to work with this incredible editor and also because it's I'm I'm a better writer also than I was a few years ago and that I am I have a little little bit more of a public presence because of the access that I'm given because of Algonquin I think um being really actively involved in helping me get the word out so that feels very different um I'll tell you, you know, there's a lot of personal stuff in the book, as you said, but the only thing for some reason that I'm nervous about with the book is that I talk about religion for one tiny little chapter. It's like a page and a half. Yeah. And for some reason, that's the thing that makes me feel exposed. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think talk about things that are taboo in our culture. I, I, I talk out loud in that book about being an atheist. And I'm expecting some people to be, to judge that. Yeah. And I don't know why that matters more to me than, you know, them pulling the packing out of my incision after my uterus, which is a pretty intimate scene. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, so I feel memoir is interesting because I, I think even when we're writing fiction, we're exposing ourselves, but certainly the exposure in this case is kind of, hard to miss yeah no it, it, it's i think <laughs> literally exposure according to the law um it, and uh, i do want to say the subway stops at bryant park your um short story collection is don't anybody get the wrong idea that's a beautiful collection of stories so i mean you may be getting better as a writer but you started at pretty high level 
So I wanted to make sure people hear about that. Thank you. I love those stories too. And I love those characters and I want to work with them again. And um, someone's actually uh, working on some short films about some based on a couple of those short stories. So I'm really excited to that see cool. how that happens, like what that looks like. It's a thrilling prospect. And you know, you talk about, um, it's interesting that there's that one moment of nervousness around the chapter on religion um, out of all the things um, that feels promising to me. I can't help it that like, it feels like there's energy there. And I wonder if there's another memoir, you know, that about I, religion. I, yeah. Because I, you know, I mean, my philosophy has been right about what I'm the most scared about. Right. And I, you know, you seem to go right at the difficult stuff. So why not? Yeah. Why not? I mean, I, I guess that could be, I, I remember it said, speaking of difficult things, being in one a creative nonfiction class and being given an assignment to write something. This is in grad school and feeling the, as though my miscarriages, which were going on during that time, were kind of knocking at the door. I was writing about everything but uh, my infertility issues. And I finally realized it somewhere towards the end of that semester. And I thought, uh-oh, I'm going to have to write about that. <laughs> like, uh, I'm a, if I'm avoiding it, I guess I have to do it. So maybe you're right. I, I hope it. you're not right, but you might be. I mean, there's plenty of other things you're working on. Um, although that maybe that's a good question for folks. Um, what are you working on these days, aside from a very busy schedule of promoting this excellent book? Well, I this is a fun schedule. It is busy and exciting and fun. Um, I have a lot of projects and they're all in different stages of disarray. And I just really need about 15 years with nothing else to do. Sure. And I could maybe outline them all. Um, but what I'm working on right now, uh, my middle grade novel recently sold to uh, Christy Ottaviano at yeah. Little Brown. So I'm super excited. I because an excellent book too. I got a sneak preview, and folks were gonna are gonna love that. Book you too. did get a sneak preview. He reads everything I write, which makes me so happy. Um, but uh, yeah, so I'm I'm actually really excited to get into the editorial process with Christy over there because I love those characters and I want to spend time with them. And I just started taking a script writing class. Because I want to try doing a little bit of theater. I, I'm, I'm feel maybe it's the pandemic, but um, I'm feeling the urge to collaborate as much as I can with other people in, in any way I can think of. So it seemed exciting to, um, to maybe write a one act play and to see what a director and actors and lighting designers and stuff, what they contribute to it and how they make it into something uh, new, uh, with their input. So I'm, but I have to learn how to do it. So I'm taking a class cause I don't know sure. how to do it. I'm learning and I'm working on it. So, oh, and I do have a novel that's for adults mm -hmm. that's up on the wall here. Um, but it's that one I need probably a good six months to work on. Um, that's based on, on a character that I call in my head post office, Bob, and I keep trying to get back to it and I'm figuring it out. You read a short story about that, that yes. I was sort of working on. Um, I remember that. So I, I feel like that, if if I had time, that's probably what I would most love to complete next. But I'm working on shorter stuff because like you, I work 
all day. And so I have to write things that I can work on in little chunks uh, rather than that those deep dives. So, Well, it sounds like you have one or two things uh, going on. Well, don't I, you? What are you working on, David? Oh, don't you even try it. This is your what? victory lap. Um, and I know you, how many books have you published? It, it's been eight technically. Eight technically. Yeah. Yeah. Poetry, nonfiction, short stories, novels. All right. All You're right. everything. I can't even help it. And how to Mars is this amazing book. I feel, can I just say something? Hey now, hey now. stop it. About stop. how to Mars though. I feel like this parallels a little bit of what, what, we're talking about with my book which is doesn't this feel like you've sort of cracked long-form fiction in a way with this like you this feels so sort of confidently you this book and I really relate to it in that way well thank you I I, I am getting a signal from Nat that we are short on time so I may be able to dodge this question but I, I guess I'll say in the short the short version yeah yeah, it feels like maybe something is, something's happening, and I'm glad about that. But I have really enjoyed getting, I have 95 other questions, but I've really enjoyed getting to ask the, the ones that I did. This Thanks for fun. hanging out. Oh, David, you're the best. You're yeah, the you, best. You are really the best. Okay. <laughs> Thank you both so much for such a generous and hilarious conversation, too. I was I was thinking uh, when you were talking about uh, saying I love you too. Oh, the dental hygienist um, or the dental hygienist. Um, I, my friends and I at one some one one time we accidentally said to the pizza guy on the phone, "I love you, bye." <laughs> and now we just do it all the time because we think it's nice. It is nice. It's it nice. is nice. You and you meant to do that. I'm just saying. Yeah. <laughs> well, not the first time. Not the first time. But then we continued to do it. It was an accident. It was like, okay, love you, bye. <laughs> oh, I can really feel that, though. I, I do love that. I've yeah. And I love you, Nat, yeah. even though we just met. I know. I love you both, too. This was such a lovely conversation. <laughs> this really was. And, yeah, I enjoyed it so much. And I have uh, I have some people in my family who have had hysterectomies, other close, like, mother figures in my life who have had hysterectomies and that we have either know or you feel like there are people who might need it or just to be able to say it's here so if it does right. end up happening there's someone else you can listen to and start a conversation with and you know that my hope is that um that that it is a device for people to tell each other that they are having something like this. Like I've gotten, I have gotten, um, people are finding me now on social media who I've never met, who are telling me they're having surgery for all sorts of things. And so maybe it's not just for hysterectomies. Maybe it's just for when you're not, when you're struggling physically and don't know how to talk to people That's about great. it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure that it I'm, I'm, it it will circulate. We have our copy. Well, we will have our copies in the store. And uh, again, for our listeners, and you can get your very own copy of Flesh and Blood from Skylight Books or at skylightbooks.com. And if, thank and you if both again so much to... for joining us, and we oh. will see everybody soon. Thank you. Thank you. 
Thank you for listening to the Skylight Books podcast series. Please don't forget to visit our website at skylightbooks.com and make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for more author talks and bookseller conversations. You can find us on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Stay safe and healthy, and we hope to see you back in our store soon.